0: You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. It's December 23rd, 2020. Today is Wednesday, and I want to talk about a couple of things today. One of them being the stimulus package which has been passed recently by Congress, which President Trump has ripped, has criticized, has lambasted, and sent back to Congress, insisting that more money be given for each American man, woman, and child who has been waiting for the better part of the year for aid. We have governments, state governments, local governments across this country that have told people they couldn't go to work and they couldn't have their businesses open and they couldn't go shopping and they couldn't live life. And that is a great way to stop having an income and to stop having sufficient income to meet your liabilities, your expenses. And so there was a stimulus package a long, long time ago, if you can remember it. If you can squint, maybe you can just see it over the hill behind you, but that was a long, long time ago, and I personally am shocked at how long it took for our Congress to come up with a second package. I think it's shocking that they've shut everything down, but once they've shut everything down, what really do they have except for paying people, making up the difference in what it is that they're depriving the average citizen of in the way of income. What else are they going to do? You just tell people you can't go to work, you can't do your thing, you can't have your business, and that's it, like indefinitely, and there's no contingency plan, there's no, I mean, no, no, that just doesn't work. And so it's shocking that it took them as long as it did to come up with this $900 billion stimulus package. But it's also shocking that for its length of uh, gestation, it is as little as it is per American man, woman, and child. $600 per man, woman, and child. And honestly, I don't think... If you're gonna give that little, you should give anything I mean don't six hundred dollars is it's ridiculous, it's insulting it's absurd, particularly relative the nine hundred billion dollars that is in this package. it is ridiculous you have nine hundred billion dollars with a b, and you're going to give six hundred dollars to me and $600 to my wife, and $600 for my children, do you realize how much out we've been this year because of the government shutting things down? It's not because people shut things down like the citizens. It's because our governments decided to shut things down. I'm out $30,000 from this time last year in income. Let me say that again. I made $30,000 less this year than I did last year because of the shutdowns, because of hours cut. So $600 is a little light. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just... You, you see what else is in this stimulus package, where else the money is going. How is it that foreign countries are getting billions of dollars and they can't even spare more than $600 for me and my wife and my children. I have children who have not gotten new shoes when they needed to get new shoes this year because the money just wasn't there. I have deferred paying on things because the money just was not there. I'm still anxious about how I'm going to pay some things when the deferment period is over. And the government sends $600. $600 is supposed to what? I mean, I suppose I can buy a new pair of shoes for a few of the kiddos and I can get caught up on a medical bill that I was holding off on paying or I can try and pay down some of the balance on the credit cards that got ran up because that's where anything extra went for groceries or medical or clothing or anything over the course of this year. $30,000 less is a lot less. And that's just my income from Sterling Energy. That's not counting lost rent because COVID and shutdowns impacted my renter's ability to make payments to keep their job. I mean, I had really good renters in our house in Sydney, and the gentleman who was taking really good care of the house and was very respectful and very considerate, he lost his job with Nalco Champion. And they moved to Tennessee. And so that was a disruption. That was several months of not getting any rent from our house in Sydney. It just sitting empty and being a mortgage payment plus a rent payment here. $600 is kind of insulting when you consider how much money is going to special interests How much money in this package is going to countries that are going to turn right around and they're going to give a little cut of that money to the politicians who voted for this package? How much of this money is going to find its way right back into the hands, into the pockets of the people who ignored the folks like you and me for almost the entire year as we suffered, as we struggled, how much of this almost $1 trillion package is going to wind up right back in the hands of the people who didn't really care over much whether you and I could pay for food on the table, whether we had job security, whether we had our utility payments all caught up or whether we were getting disconnect notices. I've gotten disconnect notices for renters this year, for utilities, because they were not able to pay on time. And I tried to be patient and kind with renters because, hey, you know what? That's kind of the situation that we're in, and me jamming on them isn't going to change their situation if their situation right now looks anything like mine. So I politely, courteously as I could, took a picture of the notice, sent it off. Hey, I'm sorry to say it, but this just came in the mail for you. Oh, okay. Yep. Sorry about that. Thanks. I'll take care of it. No worries. Have a good day. You know, let me know if you need anything. You guys doing good? Yeah, we're doing good. Okay. Cool, you know i these people that voted for this package they uh they don't they, I don't think they get disconnect notices from utility companies. I don't think that they feel that sense of anxiety in the middle of a pay period when everything's paid up that was scheduled to be and There's not enough left over to get groceries without being really strategic. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, what if there's some other bill that I forgot here? Right? Like, I think I paid them all, but I don't have enough for any other bills. And we're just living paycheck to paycheck. And... I hope nothing comes up until I get paid again, and I hope this is enough. And I, I happen to know, you happen to know, this is the news to you, that Nancy Pelosi held up passing any kind of aid package several months ago. And the reason she held it up was because it was an election year, and... She thought that that would make Republicans look bad. Now, I don't know how on God's green earth, Nancy Pelosi holding up the aid package and sabotaging the bipartisan conversations that should be happening, the shared power uh, functionality of our government, I don't know how that happens. And she would think that that hurts Republicans and President Trump, except that we have a media that will cover for her and lie and make it the Republicans' fault, make it Donald Trump's fault. But it astounds me. It just astounds me. I'm not angry. I'm not sad. I just feel a kind of numb disgust, I think, at the fact that We have politicians, we have elected representatives in this country who are so callous, they're so indifferent to the suffering of their people, either present suffering or future suffering. You know, one exception being Senator Rand Paul, and I listened to about a 12-minute speech that he gave on the Senate floor yesterday concerning the stimulus package he was one of only six senators who voted against this aid package because of all of the nonsense that's in it. It's, uh, it's price gouging, basically. You know, this is illegal when pri- private citizens do it. It's illegal when individual people do this in the midst of a hurricane, for instance. If there's a hurricane that rips through Texas or, or Louisiana and you have a stockpile of gas cans, and you start selling those babies for $100, $200 a pop, you've got bottled water, and you start selling bottled water for $100 a case, you might just find yourself in some legal trouble because that's price gouging. But if you are the United States Congress and you've got buddies to pay back in foreign countries, you've got corporate interests here in America to say thank you to, you can pass a one trillion with a T dollar stimulus package and you can give those people and those countries and those companies any amount of money that you can think of to give them and just call it love just call it aid, just call it science, just call it national security, and abracadabra. It's like all of the arguments or critical thinking or second-guessing or objecting or discussing or deliberating, all of that just magically disappears. We don't have to think about it. You know, Senator Rand Paul's speech, I thought, was very well said and I like knowing that there's at least some representatives in our government who are concerned about the impact the decisions we're making will have on our children and our children's children. We don't have a trillion dollars. This is money being printed out of thin air, which is inflating our currency, which is devaluing our dollar, which is going to Deprive our future generations in this country and our future selves, if we're alive in the decades to come, it's going to deprive our posterity of the wherewithal to do what they need to do, to be who they need to be, all because we can't think responsibly. We can't think realistically. The money is just not there. And I've had to come to terms with that realization in my own personal budget. And somehow the United States government just doesn't. It doesn't have to think about the math. It doesn't have to think about, well, this just doesn't add up. It doesn't have to think about that makes sense or that doesn't make sense. Four lawmakers can come up with 5,600 pages of legislation and give two hours to Congress to decide Yes or no? What's it going to be? Do you want children to die? No? Better vote for my bill. That's a nice country you've got there. That's a nice office you've got there. That's a nice title you've got there. It'd be a shame if something were to happen to it. Oh, okay. You're going to vote against my 5,600-page legislation. 5,600-page pork bill. You're going to vote against that? All right. That's fine. We'll just see about that. Everybody's going to know, by the way, for years to come, that you didn't want money going to the American people. You didn't really care about them. It's fine. It's fine. Vote how you like. And that's the way that it works. And interestingly enough, Mike Lee from Utah, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez from New York, both were in agreement in their reaction to this stimulus package. Both of them said, this is just absurd. You can't give lawmakers 5,600 pages to read in two hours. That's insane. It's ridiculous. It's absurd. It's, it's a farce. It's an absolute farce. That's not legislation that's hostage-taking. So who knows? Wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be a, a fantastic, funny thing if AOC, as she gets a little older, realizes that maybe capitalism's not so bad, maybe conservatism's not so bad. Maybe you do have to think about where your money's coming from and where it's going. Maybe you do have to work with these people that you don't like, the folks that you think are stuffed shirts, because maybe, just maybe, what they have to say is important and necessary. (music) Trump, meanwhile, has slammed the legislation, and has promised to veto it, sent it back to Congress, and he wants more money for the American people. I think it needs to be a one-two punch. It needs to be more money for the American people. If you're going to give aid at all, don't give an insulting amount of aid and downplay. I mean, it, it just goes to show how little these people in Congress understand and appreciate the pain that they have caused financially for Americans. They've kept on collecting their paycheck. They can just print an unlimited amount of money to pay themselves. They can vote themselves raises, et cetera, et cetera. Meanwhile, the rest of us out in the real world still have to go to our nine to five. And if your place of work is shut down because of COVID, because your governor says your line of business is non-essential, if your place of business is shut down because demand has gone through the floor, has gone into the basement, because everybody's scrambling around paying for other things and they don't need that anymore or they don't have the money for it either because their businesses are shut down, you're looking at this stimulus and you're thinking, what is this supposed to do, right? Right? It's like if I had a, you know, a a gushing head wound and you hand me a Band-Aid. What is this supposed to do? This isn't, (laughs) it's insulting. I mean, it's like you, you don't realize how bad this is. You think, oh yeah, no, people can just work from home and they can just you know, not collect a check for months or years. This is precisely why we should not have centrally planned economies and centrally planned businesses owned by the government. Do you want a, a good argument for why that's not a good idea? Here it is, folks. These people don't understand your circumstance. They don't know what's best for you. And it's hubris on their part to think that they know the ins and the outs of what is the wisest choice for you and your family. They think they can do a better job of making the decisions, all the decisions, as many decisions as possible for you, micromanaging your life. And they were never supposed to be in that role to begin with. This is a kind of judgment as a reward for apathy and indifference with regards to governing our own affairs, our neglect to be good stewards of our own affairs, our neglect to exercise self-control as a fruit of the spirit collectively on the macro level in this country has given us elected representatives that will vote for $1 trillion stimulus packages which only sends $600 to Americans. This is a consequence of being asleep at the wheel spiritually and intellectually and emotionally and physically. We're just checked out. We're entertaining and amusing ourselves to death, as Neil Postman puts it. We listen to the pretty talking heads. We let them do our thinking for us. And this is what we get. You wake up, and you're blinking, blink, blink, blinking, and you realize, I'm going off the road. I fell asleep. There's a tree. There's an oncoming truck. Wake up. This is absurd. It defies satire. It defies ridicule, because it is just already so... Self-satirizing, self-ridiculing. Anyway, enough about that. I finished two books in the past couple of days. My first two days of vacation were very restful. And I say that sarcastically. The first day of vacation, I ended up getting phone calls and texts starting at 9.30. And I got home from a number of call-outs at the plant and at a compressor facility. I got home at 11.30 p.m., so I had a 14-hour first day of vacation. One of the things that I got accomplished in that 14-hour day of vacation was I finished a couple of books, or I mostly finished a couple of books, Yesterday also, I got called out, and it was a nine and a half hour day of vacation, so that was a little more vacant. I got home at a decent hour, that was not 11.30, and had supper with my family, and got to bed at a fairly decent hour. I was just wiped. I was absolutely exhausted. Even at eight o'clock, I felt like an old man. Eight o'clock in the evening, I was just in not agony, that, I don't want to be hyperbolic here, but I was achy, and just, just couldn't keep my eyes up and I was so tired. But one of the things that I got accomplished as I was driving back and forth and I was out in the plant, I had my wireless uh, headphones in, I was listening to audiobooks while I was driving and while I was working on equipment on the plant, I finished up Stephen Dondo Collins. Caesar's Legion, the Epic Saga of Julius Caesar's Elite Tenth Legion and the Armies of Rome. That was a fun and informative read. I liked it in a similar vein to Switzerland Village History by David Birmingham. Caesar's Legion follows Roman history from the perspective of a particular legion, the Tenth Legion, and it's interesting to experience or see or learn about Roman history from the standpoint of a particular legion. That was kind of a new and original idea as far as I saw. A Switzerland, a village story, or village history, I'm sorry. Uh, similar idea, but following Swiss history from the standpoint of a specific village in Switzerland, it was a Swiss Alpine village, and I really I, I enjoyed that different way of experiencing a nation's history. Very often, it seems like the history of a place or of an empire or of a group or an organization or whatever is usually centered on a person. So, in the case of a history of Rome, you might get. Everything filtered through the eyes of Julius Caesar. And there was a lot of history of Julius Caesar in Caesar's Legion, obviously, but he wasn't the main character. The main character, if you will, was the 10th Legion. So things were seen from the perspective of and with a focus on how they did and how things related to them and all that. So it was was good. It was interesting. I didn't realize that the 10th Legion was actually mustered and created originally for Julius Caesar to go out and confront barbarians that were uh, harassing the roman hinterlands uh, for instance and in particular early on in the legions service the helvetians or the helvati they were a barbarian tribe in what is now switzerland and they were the ones from whom the term Helvetian league was derived So the Helvetian League is another name for Switzerland, actually, and I just learned that as I was listening to Switzerland Village History and Caesar's Legion at the same time. I started them both on the same day, listened to a couple hours of one, and then switched over and listened to a couple hours of the other. But anyway, fun facts there. The other book I finished up was The Benedict Option, A Strategy for Christians in a Post-Christian Nation by Rod Dreher. And this one was a little bit more thought-provoking in terms of, okay, what do I think? What do I make of some of the arguments he's making, some of the examples that he's using? What do I think of this? What are, and I was really, and still am, conflicted about much of what is in Rod Draker's book. I like... What he's saying, generally speaking, broadly speaking, I think he has the right of it. And how I would summarize what he's saying is that the Western world, Western civilization, has become post truth <clears throat> in no small part because it's become post Christian. Earlier generations of what we call Western civilization in America and Europe were committed to the truth in no small part, I would say, to a very large extent, because most of our people thought of themselves as Christians. And in the Christian worldview, truth is incredibly important. The ideas that collectively make up our idea, our concept of science and the scientific method were born of The commitment on the part of Christianity and by extension Western civilization to knowing and ascertaining the truth and being careful about how we handle the truth and how we make statements about the truth. Being very diligent, very obsessive even in detailing things and qualifying and clarifying what we know and trying to understand better what we know and whether it's true. But the Benedict Option, strategy for Christians in a post-Christian nation, advocates a return to the traditions of essentially the old Roman Catholic saints who, St. Benedict, um, chief among them, retreated from society during the Dark Ages into Christian communities that we typically refer to with shorthand as monasteries, so the monks who retreated from society and they took vows of poverty, vows of chastity, vows of silence, you know, all these special vows and disciplines and these these covenants within communities that were signed or were made vows to those Christian communities, according to Dreher. And not without merit, although I'm reluctant to go the whole way of putting all my weight on this limb and going out on it because I'm still mulling it over. These communities, these Christians preserved civilization through the Dark Ages, through centuries of barbarian conquest of Western Europe, Vikings pillaging germanic tribes ruling rome etc etc the christians who hold up and created their own tight-knit communities of discipline and love and sacrifice and humility they were the ones that preserved civilization so in our day we may be and this is what rod reher is getting at or he's alluding to, or he's implying, or whatever, we may be entering a new dark ages based on the philosophical trends and the ripple effects those philosophical trends have for every aspect of society. So if that is the case, or if it isn't, the fact that this is becoming a post-Christian nation in which you could lose your job for saying, I believe... What the Bible says, I believe God's word on X, Y, and Z issues. You might lose your job, you might lose your business, you might be boycotted, you might be fired, you might be terminated, you might be sued, etc., etc. Rod Draher says we need to rediscover how to have tight knit Christian community. We need to have our churches be communities where we're preserving virtue and where we give one another permission to be wholesome. That was one of the lines that I thought was very interesting, very thought-provoking. If I want to leave the door open for myself to disagree with Rod Draher and some of the particulars, I nevertheless can say, by and large, I like what he's saying. I find it original. Uh, it's He's thinking and saying along lines that I have to just consider. I have to consider it because I can't just dismiss it out of hand and say, well, no, that's absurd and that's silly. I'm not comfortable with it being so novel of an idea, just embracing it right off. And so I want to just think about it. I want to let that kind of simmer and percolate in my brain for a time. And I want to prayerfully consider it. And I want to be a Berean about it. I want to search the scriptures to see whether these things are so. I want to give thought to whether or not what he's advocating is uh, in accordance with the scriptures. But generally speaking, broadly speaking, I would recommend this book as food for thought. Similarly, I think it is good to be considering whether or when Christians should, by and large, give up on trying to transform the culture around us first and foremost, and when or whether or how we go about turning our efforts inside, turning them internally to the church, having a transformed Christian culture in the church, in our homes, in our marriages, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, where we focus on the micro. The micro, by God's grace, will impact ripple effects, the macro. Anyway, Something to think about. I will no doubt be referring back to the Benedict option in future as I think about it more, as I consider it. But uh, if you haven't ever read it, it's worth reading. Take it with a grain of salt, I would say, especially where he goes into um, making much of uh, Roman Catholic tradition and Orthodox tradition. He makes a lot of references to um, you know groups that I would not say we should. Follow their examples, uh, you know, too hastily. You know, Mormons, for instance. He lauds the Mormons. He lauds the Roman Catholics. He lauds the Eastern Orthodox Church, and that's all fine if we can learn some things that are not compromising. Um, But anyway, enough to say about that. I won't say any more about it. I'm almost done with. Profitable Podcasting, Grow Your Business, Expand Your Platform, and Build a Nation of True Fans by Stephen Wozner, but I am not quite there yet, and so I'm going to leave that be. I'll tell you what I thought of that one once I'm finished with it. Hopefully, we'll have a few more under my belt before you know it, but anyway, we're going to leave it right there for today. I think that's enough for this episode. It's the day before Christmas Eve. My brother-in-law is flying in from North Dakota. And I've got a book to work on while I can. I need another cup of coffee. I just brewed a fresh pot after having microwaved the nasty burnt leftovers of uh, probably a couple of days worth of coffee, honestly. To just, uh, I'm just going to level with you. Uh, that's a gross way to drink your coffee. If you're listening, I know you're cringing, you're scrunching up your face, but uh, I'm going to go get myself a fresh cup of coffee and uh, I'm going to start working on my book again and hopefully get several chapters edited, hopefully not get called out to work again today on my third day of vacation, we'll see. But anyways, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll catch you later, God bless. You've been listening to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you heard today, visit the homepage for On The Rocks blog at onthe.rocks. Also, check out On The Rock's blog podcast with Micah Hershberger, weekly on Anchor FM. If you haven't yet done so, hit subscribe to this podcast also, and you can reach Garrett Ashley Mullet with any comments, questions, or complaints at garrettmullet at gmail.com.